reflecting the views of the United States government. This is VOA News. I'm Tommy McNeil. The U.S. is calling for a temporary ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza war and opposes a major Israel ground offensive in southern Gaza. Reuters correspondent Olivia Zellino explains. The United States has proposed an alternative draft United Nations Security Council resolution. According to the text seen by Reuters on Monday, it calls for a temporary ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war and opposes a major Israeli ground offensive in Rafah in southern Gaza. Washington has been averse to the word ceasefire in any UN action on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel plans to storm Rafah where more than one million Palestinians are sheltering, prompting international concern. The U.S. put forward the text after Algeria requested the council vote Tuesday on its draft resolution. That is Reuters correspondent Olivia Zelina reporting. Russia has claimed it has captured the Ukrainian city of Evdivka. The AP correspondent Karen Chamas. The Russian military has said it has crushed the last pocket of resistance at the eastern Ukraine city's huge coke plant. It said the sheer weight of its troop numbers and greater firepower drove out Kiev's forces. Footage from Russian state broadcaster RTR showed Russian tanks moving through the destroyed city. A Russian commander known as Hermes responded to a reporter asking if the city was under Russian control. Yes, the city is 100% ours. The victory was a morale boost for Russia, days ahead of the two-year anniversary of its full-scale invasion of its neighbor. For Ukraine, the loss highlighted its dependence on Western weapons, as holdups have left it short of provisions and handicapped in the fight. I'm Karen Shamas. The widow of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has vowed to continue his fight against the Kremlin. Meanwhile, authorities denied his mother access to a morgue where his body is believed to be held after his death last week in an Arctic penal colony. This is VOA News. Residents in Democratic Republic of Congo, city of Goma, are depending on scanned food supplies as a conflict in the country's east between the army and rebels has cut off supply routes. Reuters correspondent David, D- David Doyle reports. Clashes in towns and villages around the provincial capital have escalated since the start of the year. As the M23 rebel group has seized territory, thousands have sought refuge in Goma. Around 135,000 have fled the town of Sake in the past week, according to the United Nations Refugee Agency. They join hundreds of thousands displaced around Goma since 2022, due to the ongoing fighting. The UN agency has warned that the conflict, including indiscriminate bombing, risks exacerbating the strain on already limited resources to cater for the influx. Reuters' David Doyle. AP correspondent Jackie Quinn reports on the federal government increasing its investment in U.S. computer chip production. The Biden administration says it's investing over a billion dollars to help a computer chip company, Global Foundries, expand its production facilities in New York and Vermont. Last year, President Biden vowed to expand domestic production of computer chips to avoid the shortages that developed during the pandemic. We can never let that happen again. The money comes from a bill passed in 2022 that allows the government to invest billions in chip-making manufacturers, which help supply smartphones, military equipment, and electric vehicles. We're going to make sure the supply chain for America 
begins in America. The projects in Malta, New York and Burlington, Vermont are expected to create 1,500 manufacturing jobs along with 9,000 construction jobs over the next decade. I'm Jackie Quinn. Astronomers have discovered what may be the brightest object in the universe. The record-breaking quasar has a black hole at its heart that's so big and growing so fast that it swallows the equivalent of a sun a day. This distant quasar shines 500 trillion times brighter than our sun, and its black hole is more than 17 billion times more immense than our sun. An Australian-led team reported the findings on Monday in the journal Nature Astronomy. The scientists say that the object has been misclassified as a star decades ago and therefore has been hiding in plain sight. Recapping our top story now, the U.S. is calling for a temporary ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza war and opposes a major Israel ground offensive in southern Gaza. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Africa, welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Tensions escalated between Somalia and Ethiopia over an incident at the African Union Summit. This morning, when I prepared myself to attend the closed session of the summit, the Ethiopian security has blocked my way. They refused me to come out of the hotel. Fuel tanker driver strike in Nigeria over rising operational costs. Meanwhile, the ruling APC party rejects opposition calls for President Bola Tinubu's resignation. Guinea's military junta dissolves the government. The military they didn't say anything concerning the reasons behind the dissolution of um, the government. But it's like that um, they seem to have had enough of um, the civilian government. Those stories plus our Black History Month presentation are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Tensions between Somalia and Ethiopia escalated over the weekend following allegations by Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed that Ethiopian security forces tried to bar him from attending the African Union Summit in Addis Ababa. The incident comes amid an ongoing dispute between the two countries involving the breakaway region of Somaliland. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu. Speaking to journalists before cutting short his trip, Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed said the actions of the Ethiopian forces were part of a grand scheme by the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to annex part of Somalia. This morning when I prepared myself to attend the closed session of the summit, the Ethiopian security has blocked my way. They refused me to come out of the hotel and go on with my cars and entourage. The actions of Ethiopia as of today is to annex part of Somalia to Ethiopia and to disrespect the African Union summit participants are me. The Somali president eventually gained access to the meeting, entering with the security team of the Djibouti president, Ismail Omar Gele. The Ethiopian government has rejected Mahmoud's claim and said the Somali leader and his delegation declined to be accompanied by a security detail assigned to him, Matt Bryden co-founder of Sahan Research, 
a policy and security think tank thinks it's not easy to apportion blame because there would have been a breakdown in security protocol. Either the Ethiopians unreasonably denied access to the president and his security detail uh, or the Somali security uh, personnel escorting the president were trying to bring weapons into a location into which they were not permitted. The claims by Mohamud escalated tensions that are already running high because of an agreement signed New Year's Day between Abiy and Somaliland's president, Musa Bihi. The Memorandum of Understanding would grant landlocked Ethiopia access to the Gulf of Aden to build a naval base. In exchange, according to Somaliland, Ethiopia would recognize it as an independent state. Ethiopia, however, said it would merely consider that possibility. Somalia, which is still considered Somaliland part of its territory, is insisting the agreement be cancelled. The African Union has called for dialogue to solve the issue, but a former Somali government minister, Abdullahi Godabare, says that is not possible right now. Barre says the negotiation called by the African Union is not good at this stage. He says dialogue is always good, but Ethiopia has to retract the deal so that the dialogue will be without conditions. No one, he says, will accept negotiations based on annexation. Ethiopia has not explicitly rejected Somalia's annexation claim, but Abi said this month that Ethiopia does not wish to harm Somalia. According to Bryden, the issue is complicated by Somalia's dependence on Ethiopian troops for security in southwestern parts of the country. Somalia has still not called for Ethiopian troops to leave southwestern Somalia, which would be disastrous because presumably places like Belatwain, Bulaburti, Baidoa and other towns would fall into the hands of al-Shabaab if Ethiopia were to do so. Ethiopia and Somalia have long history of tensions and have even gone to war with each other. However, in recent years, the two countries have enjoyed relatively friendly relations. Ethiopia currently deploys its troops into Somalia within and outside the African Union framework. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Guinea's military junta on Thursday dissolved its government with no indication when a new government would be announced. Rogers quotes the Secretary General of the Presidency as saying directors of cabinet and the Secretary Generals and their deputies will be in charge until a new government is appointed. Reporter Karim Kamara in Konakri tells me the junta has also ordered all sacked ministers to turn in their government issue vehicles and banks to block their accounts. The military didn't say anything concerning the reasons behind the dissolution of um, the government this evening. But it's like that um, they seem to have had enough of um, the civilian government because um, the government was led by a civilian, Bernard Gumu, and then they have been tainted with a lot of accusations of widespread corruption, bad governance, human rights abuses, and all the rest. So it's like that they have had enough. But um, people are also waiting to get full explanation from the government because um, the way um, the government was sent out is quite unusual in Guinea. What do we know about the prime minister? What is his status now? Well, uh, Bernard Gumu is now an ordinary man as any Guinean. 
He was a prime minister before he was the minister of commerce, before he became an interim prime minister and then became a prime minister. Now he has left, he has become an ordinary Guinean, like any other Guinean on the street. So what now will lie on him is what he did when he was a prime minister, whether he worked well to satisfy Guineans, whether he was able to meet the needs you know, of Guineans, whether he was able to at least to meet the expectations of Guineans. This is what there will be the aftermath and uh, all things that will follow him after today. Do we have a new government in place? Mm, well, not yet. Nobody has been appointed as prime minister or a member of government. But from what we heard from the communique uh, is that all permanent secretaries will, as from tomorrow, act as interim ministers in the department until the government is appointed. So that is what we had in the communique. Sorry, we had in the communique and read by the secretary to the president, General Amara Kamara. Guineans have been going through some economic difficulty, particularly since the uh, fuel explosion. What do you think now the dissolution of this government mean for the economy? Well, it is hard to say because not only the civilian, um, the outgoing members of government were accused of widespread corruption, but even members of the junta because the government, because they staged their coup and appointed these civilians to help them rule, you know, or lead the country. So, and then they are seen to be on top you know, of the situation. So whatever happens to be like corruption, is like uh, they are also involved. But none of them has been arrested and then have been um, accused of widespread corruption, if not um, by independent media houses or independent um, anti-corruption farms. That's how things came out. But as we speak now, in the communique, there are Amara Kamara urged the ministers, the sacked ministers, to immediately uh, return their vehicles back to uh, the government garage quickly as possible, right, as from tomorrow, and also urged the gendarmerie to automatically block all entrance to the ministerial department, and also they've been asked to return all state stamps, and also banks have been asked to seize or to, to block uh, the account of these sacked ministers. You mentioned earlier about the U.S. charger d'affaires in Guinea and uh, the recent uh, fires in Guinea and the firefighters. Indeed, yes. The U.S. embassy here has done something exemplary, which no embassy has ever done in Guinea to appreciate and to compensate citizens who indeed put their life at risk to save the life of others. And that is what happened, because during the a fire outbreak at the fuel depot here in Conakry. Hundreds of Guinean firefighters took part. Even some of them got wounded, but they were able to rescue a lot of people alive. So this is what the U.S. Embassy here in Conakry decided to say, look, we are going to compensate these guys for what they have done. And that has been applauded by Guineans. That's reporter Karim Kamara speaking with us from the Guinean capital, Conakry. The Secretary General of the Nigerian Union of Petroleum and Natural Gas Workers Association says he's hopeful that the fuel tackle driver strike, which began Monday, would be resolved today, Tuesday. According to Reuters, the drivers went on strike on Monday over rising operational costs due to the recent second devaluation of the Naira and the state of Nigeria's roads. Olawale Afolapi tells me that negotiations for better freight, freight rates will continue today, Tuesday. Since the deregulation by this regime, which means that government has no control over the prices in the industry, especially the downstream, unfortunately, 
because of the economic situation of the country now, it has not been a food regulation as it's supposed to be because, you know, we are importing PMS into the country. The landing cost of PMS per liter in Nigeria are above 1,000 naira. But the prices at the petrol station is still around 600, 650, which is below the actual cost price. And the owners of the truck, they've been on fixed freight rate for the origin of this product. Most of these products are taken by truck from the depot or the refinery to the filling station. So the haulagers, the owner of the trucks, who are the employers of the petrol tanker drivers, are the ones that decided not to release their trucks for operation. As long as they are not releasing their trucks for operation, the petrol tanker drivers cannot work. So it's actually not the workers that are on strike, but the owners of the trucks are the ones that withdrew the trucks from the road, protesting the inadequacy of the freight rate. They said the business is not sustainable with the current freight rate they are giving them. So actually, we are not on strike. It is the owners, the Nigerian Association of Road Transport owners, the owners of the truck that decided not to make available their truck for drivers to drive. So who do you think can provide solution? I just came back from a meeting now with the federal government, the Minister of State for Petroleum, invited the Nigerian Association of Road Transport Owners, invited NUPEN, that this Nigerian Union of Petroleum and Natural Gas Workers, of which I'm the general secretary, and of which petrol tanker driver is a branch of, we just left the meeting. The meeting will continue tomorrow. We have told them the major marketers will come around tomorrow, so there will be further discussion and negotiation. TOTA is one of them. TOTA is offering an increment already, which is not satisfactory to the owners of the truck. The Nigerian National Petroleum Company, a retail outlet of NMPC, is also going to be that. They are also offering some amount of money. And I think the negotiation and discussion will continue tomorrow by two. Economically, uh, things were already not going well. What is the impact of this strike on commercial activity in Nigeria? Yeah, the problem is about panic buying because I believe that there are well in the stations and uh, one day to day shouldn't have uh, so much impact. The products that are in the depot, in the stations, will be getting dry. But hopefully, I'm very sure that solution will be found tomorrow. Olawale Ofolabi is the Secretary General of the Nigeria Union of Petroleum and Natural Gas Workers. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, February 20th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In Nigeria... 
the ruling All Progressives Congress APC party is rejecting calls by the main opposition People's Democratic Party, the PDP, for President Bola Tinubu to resign. This after governors of the PDP said the president should resign if he cannot fix the prevailing economic conditions, which the opposition says are making life difficult for citizens. It comes after labor unions threatened to embark on a strike due to inflation and what they say are sharp increases in the prices of food and services. Barrister Felix Moka is the spokesperson for Nigeria's governing APC. He tells viewers Peter Clotter that the government is mobilizing resources as part of the measures to resolve the challenging economic conditions. We are not taking the PDP government seriously uh, because basically they are basking in willful blindness to their own constitutional responsibilities as governors. Now, um, basically asking the president to throw in the towel uh, if he can no longer govern, that's, that's utterly ridiculous. Yes, it is true that this administration has introduced very difficult, you know, far-reaching policies that are meant to cure the rot in Nigeria's economic system. These are policies, for example, the removal of the fuel subsidy that have become utterly unsustainable. Uh, the effort to harmonize the foreign exchange rates. You know, these are policies that are critical to Nigeria's economic survival, recovery, and prosperity. Mr. Moka, the question uh, a lot of these governors yes, are asking is that the economic conditions are rather difficult. Uh, skyrocketing food prices, goods and services, and it's unaffordable. And that if they said the president cannot handle such situations, there has to be a solution to cushion the effect of some of these policies on Nigerians. And that is why they said they are calling on the president, if he can resolve the issue, to step down. Now, when Nigerians complain about, you know, skyrocketing prices and, you know, the, 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 the difficulties they have in with, you know, uh, accessing basic uh, necessities. That is understandable. We can have that conversation. But the, when the governors are the ones, you know, cheerleading this argument, that is disingenuous. It's simply just people shooting the breeze, doing nothing, as though they're spectators in that economic system. Now, Peter, let me just, you know, uh, say this. You know, as well as I do, that there's no country in the world where progress has come, whether it's, you know... Uh, you know, Singapore or, you know, even China itself. And people have had to make, you know, tough choices that, you know, have transcend, you know, difficulties. That's what we're going through. But ultimately, this is, and the government is mobilizing resources to mitigate on these transcend pains that the reforms are creating. Now, the pains are inevitable. You know, to make an omelet, you must crack the egg. The government is simply trying to, you know, entrench policies that will anchor sustainable development of the economy. Barista Moka, but you have even labor union groups sending warnings to the federal government and the president, for that matter, that if things do not get resolved, they would embark on strike to force the government to listen to their demands, to meet their demands, and that something has to be done. How do you respond to that? No, Peter, you know, first of all, uh, Nigeria is not an isolated uh, experience in this conversation. 
As you know, many countries in Europe, including France, including England, are struggling with rising cost of living and energy prices. That's a global trend. I mean, the UK just went into a recession. You know, Nigeria is still forecasted to perform at over 3.3% uh, you know, in GDP you know, growth. You know, as I said, yes, the labor will react. The labor is always the, the, the reactionary organization. I mean, that's their job to, you know, speak out and create more crisis when times are hard. That's what they do. So that's understandable if labor is speaking. But my point here is that the, the question you ask is about the call by the state governors who are constitutionally responsible for managing the federating units of Nigeria. My point is that they are not doing enough. Barrister Felix Moka is the spokesperson for Nigeria's governing APC party. He spoke with U.S. Peter Klotte. Anti-Rwanda demonstrators burned Western countries' flags on Monday in the city of Goma in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, accusing the countries of supporting Kigali through the M23 rebels and AFP journalist Saul. Fighting between the mostly Tutsi M23 rebels, uh, Congolese government forces has flared in recent days around the town of Sake, 12 miles from Goma in North Kivu province. The DRC, the UN, and Western countries say Rwanda is supporting the rebels in a bid to control vast mineral resources, an allegation that Kigali has, re- has denied. Guinea-Bissau's interior minister on Monday said that police had dismantled a passport fraud network within the ministry and that three of its officials involved in the case had been arrested. The interior ministry said airport officials had raised the alarm when they noticed a number of Guinea-Bissau passport holders who could not speak any of the country's languages. Interior Ministry Chief of Staff Bria Brahima Cham said the operation had been underway since 2022, according to the French news agency, the AFP. It is time now for our Black History Month and African History presentation for today, February 20th. On this day in 1927, Sidney Portier was born in Miami, Florida. He became the first African-American to win an Academy Award for his role in the movie Lilies of the Field. Portier was also the first black to play a leading role in an American movie without reference to his race. He died January 6, 2022. Also today in 1895, Frederick Douglass, African-American spokesman and abolitionist, died in Anacostia Heights District of Columbia, which is Washington, D.C. He was 78 years old. Douglas was born a slave in the state of Maryland on February 14, 1817. On this day in 1963, retired NBA player Charles Ward Barkley was born in Leeds, Alabama. In 1993, Barkley was voted the NBA's most valuable player and during the NBA's 50th anniversary, named one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history. Since retiring, 
veteran from the NBA, Barkley has become a successful color commentator on basketball for the U.S. television network TNT. On this day, 1988, best-selling and Grammy award-winning singer Rihanna was born Robin Rihanna Fenty in St. Michael, Barbados. Her mother is of Guyanese descent. Did you know that Granville T. Woods was a 19th century inventor known as the Black Thomas Edison for his electrical engineering? Woods was born a free man on April 23, 1856 in Columbus, Ohio. He taught himself electrical and mechanical engineering while working in railroad machine shops and steel mills. In 1887, Woods developed a device he called Synchronous Multiplex Railway Telegraph. The device not only helped dispatchers locate trains, it also allowed moving trains to communicate by telegraph. And on this day in African history in 1951, the first parliament was opened in the British colony of Gold Coast, known today as Ghana, as part of the long process towards self-determination. Two weeks after, Ghana became an independent nation on March 6, 1957. Those are your Black History Month and African History Facts for today, February 20th. And that's it for this Tuesday, February 20th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing that you will have an amazing Tuesday.